Morning. We've been talking about common causes. There's a lot of things that divide Christians. We're going to talk about common causes that unite Christians. We're talking about, we're breaking it down into three different parts. Communion, community, and commission. Let's think about communion. Communion is unity that comes when people are of one mind with respect to God. If I was to get ask you guys to, to hum a note, and then if I was to walk around person to person and bring you up and bring you down and bring you on key, we might be able to get towards singing the same note, but it would be far easier to hit a note and then everyone just hum the note that you hear. Um, this is communion, tuning our minds to the same spiritual chords. What are the things that God wants us to believe in together? And that's what communion is about. It's a unity of mind, unity that comes from us being in agreement about the major things that God wants us to agree on. And we talked about a couple of those. Um, it's believing in the same gospel. And the, the gospel is that God revived us when we were dead and that he reconciled us when we were bad. Knowing th- how good the good news is, that is a foundational element of communion, our ability to agree with one another in terms of our beliefs. There's a lot of beliefs that we might find different than one another, but the gospel is something that is to unite us. And it is, again, that when we were bad, God reconciled us. When we were dead, God revived us. We believe in the same gospel, and we believe in the same spirit. The Spirit communicates to us, the Spirit of God, that we are members of the same family. The Spirit is not a spirit of slavery unto fear. The Spirit is a spirit of sonship. And so when we are being led by the Spirit, we are in touch with the fact that we are brothers and sisters. We are children of the same Father. And that's what the Spirit tries to reinforce in our thinking. There's all different kinds of thoughts about how do I know when the Spirit of God is influencing me? That's a good question. Different people have different answers. But there are two major things that the Spirit of God will influence us to believe. First is that we are not slaves of a master with respect to God. We are sons and daughters of a father. And as part of this, the Spirit will remind us, influence us to believe that we are under the new covenant. So now we ask a question, what happens when we tune into the same spiritual frequency? What happens when we believe in the same gospel? What happens when we, uh, when we are led by the same Spirit? And we're going to look at two things this morning. Uh, number one... We become images, and secondly, we bear fruit. But we become images. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 18, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We learn something very important 
about the Holy Spirit here. Everybody who is a Christian believes that the Holy Spirit is important. But with respect to exactly what his influence of what is like, there's a lot of different thoughts. What we learn here is that the Spirit of God uses the new covenant to influence us. Um, he is the Spirit then draws our attention to the new covenant. Uh, and he draws our attention away from the old covenant toward the new. Like what that means is that the Spirit will not direct our attention as much to the commandments as he will to God's commitments. And what ends up happening with that, as we learn to look at the things the Spirit wants us to look at, that we're God's children, that we're under a new covenant, what ends up happening is that our understanding these things causes us to become God's images. It says in the verse that we who with unveiled face all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. That word likeness literally means image. Um, so God transforms us into his images so that what we reflect about God toward others is what God would have reflected. Um, <clears throat> we are being transformed into his image and we reflect God to others. When you think of the mechanism of transformation, then it's Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai. And, you know, we know what happened, that he walked up on the mountain and that he saw God. And because he saw God and he was beholding him, Merely by beholding God, Moses was transformed. He didn't have to try to be transformed. He didn't have to work at it. He beheld God, and beholding God's glory transformed him. In fact, he didn't even know he had been transformed until he walked down the mountain and his appearance was changed. That's how transformation happens transformation occurs, and this feels really important to me. It's one of those things that we could skip over, but transformation occurs as we behold God's glory. Again, to behold God's glory, would you agree with me? We can't behold God's glory and be focused on our own behavior. That's something we might look at, but not gaze at, not behold. We will be changed as we behold who God is, what his gospel is, what his spirit wants us to understand. And especially in this context, it says to believe in the new covenant. There are two kinds of transformation caused by two different kinds of glory. The transformation caused by old covenant glory, which Moses experienced, and the transformation caused by new covenant glory. Old covenant glory promotes forcefulness. That's what we find. It says, Jesus speaking, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. To be under the assumption that God relates to us according to the old covenant, we end up forcing things in ourselves and others. We end up 
hearing God say, you better take care of that, and then we look at ourselves and try to force changes in ourselves. That is more goading than it is guiding. Um, Old covenant glory promotes forcefulness. New covenant glory promotes gentleness. It's a verse we look at often. But again, it's the only verse I'm aware of where Jesus reveals kind of his manner, or he describes himself with by saying, I am, and he puts a, a, a characteristic, an adjective in there. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So when we are looking at God accurately as Jesus reveals him, We don't find forcefulness, we find gentleness. And what ends up happening? As our perception of God and his gentleness starts to kind of get down into our bones, what will happen eventually, slowly, progressively? If we stay with that, we will start to become a little more gentle with ourselves and gentle with others. And that is the key to being loving. Um, when we behold God's glory, we become images, reflector of the glory we behold. When we behold God's glory, we become images or reflectors of the glory we behold. That happens automatically. And so what it means, to the degree you focus on God's new covenant promises, his gentleness, what will happen It will change you. And what it will do, you will find yourself slowly becoming a reflector of gentleness. Now, it won't happen completely, but it does happen progressively because that's what glory does. Glory transforms us. We are are made into images by beholding glory. The Spirit is associated, again, as we say, with the New Covenant. We become images as we behold and reflect Spirit glory. Um, Why does God make images? You're aware in the Old Testament it says, don't make a graven image. And it says specifically, don't do it. You know, don't. And in that context, it says, don't make an image of God. Don't try to paint it. Or, And it was something forbidden. It's not that images are wrong, because What it says, don't make graven images, in this verse it says God makes them. And when God makes an image, you know what he does? He makes images of you. That's how God reveals himself. The way it's supposed to work is that he tells us things, and we focus on them. And those things he tells us change us gradually. And as they change us, we reflect these changes towards others, and we might not even say a word about Jesus, but our manner, the way we approach people, it really does slowly change. We become transformed as we behold his glory. Um, Why does God make changes? I think this is true. The world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. How is the world going to learn about God? They might not read a Bible. 
what it seems to suggest is that God makes images. Now, we're not going to be perfect, but little by little, we can become a little gentler, a little more loving, a little more compassionate, a little more considerate. And the manner in which we treat people will impact people. God reveals himself, and as he does so, we reflect. So, But the deal is the world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. And the church cannot reflect what the church does not behold. And that's why we I would encourage us to be clear about what is it that God wants us to behold. And he wants us to behold new covenant promises because those change us. And as we are experiencing those changes, then we are changed by them when we reflect that change towards others. So that's the first thing. What ha- what's the effect of transformation? We become images. Individuals to and through whom God reveals himself. Our transformation is not really about us. It's so that we can have a manner that causes, allows others to see what God is like. Um, Not only do we become images, but we bear fruit. Look what it says. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, bits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It talks about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, would, you, would you agree with me? Those are very different lists. Um, when it talks about flesh, by the way, I think a way to understand flesh and spirit in the context of the Bible, when the Bible talks about flesh, the works of the flesh, flesh is human nature under the old covenant. I think that's a way to describe flesh. Flesh is how human nature responds under the old covenant. If you put over somebody's head, do this and you'll be blessed, don't do this and you'll be cursed, these are the types of behaviors that will end up becoming evident in the person who looks in that way. Now, these, what, and let's look at them briefly. Uh, sexual immorality is a generic term for sexual sin of any kind. Impurity is a state of moral impurity, especially in respect to sexual sin. Sensuality lewdness, crude and offensive behavior, behavior completely lacking 
and moral restraint. Somebody who really doesn't have the ability to to rein in their behaviors. Uh, Idolatry is the reverence and worship of idols. Sorcery, the use of spells and potions of magic, often biblically including drugs. Enmity is hostility or antagonism. Strife is quarreling and dissension. Jealousy is craving. Zealous ill will. It's interesting, isn't it? Some of these behaviors you never find in a church or you might find in a church, not out in the open, but some of these you do find in a church, don't you? Dissensions and strifes and quarreling. That's what I wanted to point out. There are manifestations of these things that happen outside church, but can we agree there's manifestations that happen inside the church? To strife and quarreling and zealous ill will and I want what I want when I want it. It goes on and talks about fits of anger. Fits of anger is wrath, fury, anger. A state of intense displeasure based in some real or perceived wrong. It's when I think you've done something and I just can't get over it. That's what fits of anger are. Rivalries, factions, strife, resentment based on jealousy and implying rivalry. The type of thing that happens sometimes in political arenas where one color blows up another color and this color blows up that color. Of course, we don't have to talk about that. That never happens in church. Um, dissensions are divisions. Divisions, sects and heresies, envy, contempt or disdain. And contempt is it's just like kind of a sneering. Drunkenness, drunken behavior, orgies, excessive drinking, and unrestrained sexual activities. That's, those are the works of the flesh. And what it's describing here, that flesh is human nature under the old covenant. And when you put conditions upon humans, especially with respect to God, it leads to these types of behaviors. Now, you don't see every one of them, but in general, this is what happens. And the fruit of the Spirit, again, that's a very different list. Um, Spirit is, if flesh is human nature under the old covenant, Spirit would be human nature under the new covenant. Exactly right. Human nature under the new covenant. So these are the behaviors that come when we behold new covenant are transformed and we start to bear this as fruit little by little it doesn't happen all of a sudden love the act of love of his people the act of love that his people are to have for god each other and even enemies that's the thing about biblical love it's not an emotion as much as it is serving like john talked about uh, are being able to serve at the banquet. And that's love. It's when you roll up your sleeve and you extend to others what they need. It's not Biblical love is not primarily emotional. Uh, we do disagree with people, and we might not feel emotionally close to them. That doesn't mean that we are unable to love them. If they end up needing something, we roll up our sleeve and providing, that's what biblical love looks like. Um, Joy is to be glad or to rejoice. Peace is harmony. Lack of strife 
reconciliation. And when a people are focused on God's glory and are transformed by it, over time, there will be a greater capacity to come together. Again, never perfect. Church has never been perfect, never will be, but transformation is possible. And it's possible as we look at the place where these kind of, well, spirit things, new covenant things. Uh, patience is forbearance, the capacity to live with tension. You know, as I look at these lists and and this is really a big one to me. I've been thinking about it a lot. The ability to tolerate distress. How much of us like to tolerate distress? How many of you really love to be distressed? Nobody likes to be distressed. Would you agree with me, though, that the inability to tolerate distress, as you think about it, how many of these, how many of these behaviors could we attribute to the inability to tolerate distress? Take a look at that list. What do you think? Can you see how the inability to tolerate distress would lead to sexual immorality? That makes sense. Impurity? Strife? Fits of anger? The inability to tolerate distress. I'm going to pay you back. You made me feel bad. And... That's what patience is, forbearance, the capacity to live with tension. Tell you what, that's not a fun lesson to learn. But, because you know how you learn to tolerate tension? By having to do so. And so if you tell me that you don't have any distressing circumstances in your life, I'm concerned about you. Because the fact is, if you are going to reflect Christ, you will have to learn to experience tension and live with it. Again, I'm not saying you will like it. Who in the world likes to experience tension? But there's a difference between not liking it and thinking it's bad, thinking I did something wrong. If you've got tension in your life, it's not really because you did anything wrong. You know what the deal is? It's because you are human. Human beings, we are spirit beings in mortal bodies. You know what? You could put me in the Garden of Eden and I would find reason to be tense, even though everything's perfect. Because the fact is, with me and you, you are a spirit being in a mortal body, and those don't really go well together. So you could be all alone and you would be in tension. But what we tend to do is we tend to blame people when we're in tension. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's that party's fault. It's that person's fault. And you know what the deal is? At some level, there is accountability. But what God would have us know, here's what I want you to do. When you're in tension, what God would have us do is... Focus on his commitments. I see you. I see you. I know why you I know why you deal with the tension you deal with. Not only would God see you, I sympathize with you. Jesus says, I know what it's like to be in places where you don't get what you want. I deal gently with you. I love you. That's what he will tell us. I change you. I'm gonna ch I choose you. Good's ahead of you. Good's guaranteed. I give you the power to persevere and the power to be content. If you Focus on that. You know what happened little by little? This will start to happen. Love. 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what else will happen? And it will surprise you. This will happen less. Frustrated sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, fits of rage. That'll happen less. As we focus on God's glory, we're transformed. Less of that, more of those. Um, the war within is about the desires produced by the old covenant versus desires produced by the new covenant. I want to be clear. The war within, this war, struggle within us, we all experience, it, it kind of flows out onto others. Would you agree? What we end up doing, we end up being angry at others because we are feeling distressed in ourselves. Would you agree with that? It's kind of the way it works. Um, the war within is not about sacred desires versus secular desires. I want you to listen to me. This is, this is something that's not easy to catch, but it's important. The war within is not about sacred desires versus secular desires. That's not the war. The war is about sacred desires versus sacred desires. We say, what do you mean? There are desires created by the new covenant. There are desires created by the old covenant, sacred versus sacred. God does not relate to us as an old covenant God, but as a new covenant, but that's our struggle. And um, it's interesting that in the Bible, um, individuals say yes to the new covenant, they start to change, but when they say yes to the old covenant as well, I'll go back to it, the change kind of gets all confused. We talked about the effect of transformation and there's a couple of things then. Number one, the effect of transformation is we become images and we bear fruit. Another way to see it, um, beholding leads to reflecting. That's what happens as we become images. Beholding leads to reflecting and beholding leads to behaving. If we want to have less of column A, more of column B, there's one way to do that. And what it says, walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to walk in alignment with the new covenant, to understand that that's what God is saying to us, that he's gentle towards us. And as we take that in, little by little, let's call him A, more call him B. We'll continue to talk about this, but let's close. Stand up for closing prayer. Father, thank you for um, not just telling us what to do, but telling us how. The what is, you don't want us to be angry and fits of rage and dissensions and factions and sexually immoral and orgies and drunkenness and that. You don't want us to do list A, and you want us to do list B, love, joy, peace, patience. You don't just tell us what, though. A what without a how is very, very frustrating. You give us a how. You tell us 
transformation. But as we behold your glory, specifically new covenant promises, your commitments, that that glory transforms us. We start to bear the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit is the Spirit of the new covenant. And so he influences us and changes us as we focus on the covenant that he has come to draw attention to. So he draws our attention to the new covenant. He doesn't convict us of sin. He doesn't tell us this or that. What the Spirit's primary job is to bring our attention towards what Jesus made happen at the cross, the inauguration of a new covenant. As we look at that, little by little, column A starts to decrease and column B starts to increase. We are transformed, and we might not even be aware that we are. Thanks so much for good news, which involves not just what you want us to be, but how it happens. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.